I'm Rachel Meadowcroft, and this is It Doesn't End Here. Last episode, Laura filed a victim's protection order against Mason in the state of Kansas for the physical abuse that occurred on July 5th, 2021. That next week, I got a call from an officer who was going to serve him. He said, I'm about to serve Mason. I just want to verify the addresses really quick, make sure that he's still at these addresses, which by then I had no idea. I just knew those were the last addresses that he was going to. I don't know the amount of time it took him. I mean, it was less than 30 minutes. He called me again and said, okay, Mason has been served. He was not happy, but, you know, he understood why he was getting served and he under- and he accepted it. The following week, we ended up going to court. It was It ended up being just me and my sister. So that time I had a lawyer. I knew he'd been served. And so I was like, well, I don't want to go in there without anybody. I was so nervous. We were sitting out in the lobby and I was like, If he shows up, I know he's been served, so he's going to show up. Or if he doesn't, then he gets a warrant sent, you know, for his arrest because he missed his court date. I told her I was getting so nervous. And so her and my sister and I, we went into the law library and just sat there. And she was like, I need to go over some notes. I need to go over some things really quick. So I'm going to go make copies and then um, I'll be right back. She walks out, not even like seconds. I mean, we're talking like seconds here. He walks in. She turned around and followed him in. And she looked at me sitting there and he's in the walkway and she points at him and goes, "Is?" and she like mouthed to me, is this him? And I was like, I just kind of nodded my head. Like I was terrified. I was, I didn't know what was going to happen or what he was going to say. He walked around He mumbled something at me along the lines of he had something for me. um, And then he walked around by the books. She followed him and said, "Um, Mason, you're not allowed to be in here. You're not allowed to be around her. You need to leave immediately. You know, he kind of put up his hands like, okay, okay, you know, I'll leave. And he walked out and he looked so thin. He had lost a lot of weight. I don't know. He looked very thin. He looked very frail. He had like sunken in cheeks and like black circles under his eyes. So she went and escorted him into the courthouse where the defendants sit. And she came and got me and said, okay, he's inside the courtroom. Some person came and got her and said, hey, this guy Mason wants to talk to you. He was trying to tell her that he had pictures of me abusing him and voicemails of me saying sorry. She was like, you know, let me see the pictures. Let me hear the voicemail. So he actually showed her and let her hear the voicemails. And it was the apology voicemails had nothing to do with any abuse or any, he had nothing against me on the voicemails is what she said. Then he showed her pictures of like where I had scratched him and that was the abuse that I did to him. She was, she came back to me and she said, do you remember scratching him? And I said, yeah, I do because he wouldn't get off of me. 
And she was like, oh, so self-defense. And I said, yes, I I wouldn't just randomly come up to him and just start hitting him or scratching him, you know? And she was like, okay, so everything he has against you is null and voided because it was in self-defense. He came back and, and asked to see her again. She had papers with her that if he wanted to settle outside of court, he could sign. So that's what she tried to get him to do. She was like, you know, we don't even have to go into court and relive all of this stuff and rehash everything. You could sign these papers and we could go about our business. He actually did. He signed outside of court. In Oklahoma, the max on the VPO is five years. He actually signed a continuous VPO. He signed the continuous one that never expires. So I have a VPO on him for the rest of my life. Um, As long as I'm living, the VPO will be against him. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yes, I I was shocked he signed that one. You know, and I'm sure he may or may not have understood what he was signing. I don't know. I'm sure she did her best to explain. And she realized that he wasn't educated and they talked for probably an hour. She told me that he changed his mind like six different times. He started trying to rehash all this stuff outside of court. And she was like, I'm not going to do this here. You can either do it inside there or not out here. You know, take your pick. So she came back and she said, okay, he's sitting in the court. You are free to go and I will file this for you. My sister and I like walked very fast. Uh, You could probably almost say we were running (laughs) as fast as, you know, a slow run. (laughs) And Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. we wanted to get out of there as fast as possible. Um, We did not want to see him. Big victory. I mean, you got a restraining order against him for life. Like, that's amazing. (laughs) Yes. It was very, yes. I was shocked and happy. I told my sister on the drive home, I said, I give it about a week and he contacts me. Three days later, he contacted me telling me he missed me and he loves me and he really wants to see me. I was like, what's going on? You know, and my lawyer told me to not block his number because anything he texts me or calls me or emails me, she can use against him as a violation of a VPO. And I was like, I really don't want him contacting me. Like, I don't want to see what he has to say. At this point, I was like, you know, I feel I'm weak towards him. Like, I feel like if he contacts me and says he wants to see me, I'm going to be like, okay. (laughs) But I put a lot of people around me after that, making sure that I did not go back and see him. And they checked up on me and held me accountable. And (laughs) they were like my accountability partners. (laughs) They talked to me like almost all day, every day, making sure that I wasn't talking to him or that I, you know, if he texted me, make sure I didn't text back. And so it was kind of nice to have that. What was your reasoning for still like having that feeling of wanting to talk to him? Like after everything that had happened and even after going to court and everything, you still had the pull to like want to reach out and talk to him? Not that I wanted to reach out and talk to him, but I, I mean, I missed him. I did. I guess a part of me missed him because I knew he had the potential to be such a good man. And I know he wants to be a good man, but his emotions and his anger get the best of him. At this point, I felt like he was like a drug to me. Like I felt like I was quitting like a heavy drug cold turkey. <laughs> and I've never done mm-hmm. drugs before, so I don't know what that is, but I've seen intervention. It was it was bad. 
I knew he had the potential to be a great man. He wanted to be it, and I wanted to help him get there. I want not fix him. I didn't want to fix him. I just wanted to help him. I wanted him to succeed. He had been through so much in his life that I wanted him to succeed over keeping mm-hmm. myself safe almost. It was kind of how it felt. I just couldn't get past seeing him in a bad light. I didn't I didn't want to see him that way. I didn't want to see him as this abusive monster. I didn't want to see him as a a person who was physically beating me almost on a daily basis in the beginning, you know. And then when I stopped seeing him and then it started up again, then I was like, it's never going to change. And that's when I knew I had to file the VPO. I knew it was never going to change. I knew he was never going to not hit me if he got angry or it's almost like I had to walk around on eggshells around him. I had to be careful. He contacted me over the weekend. I filed a second police report. That one was an email that he sent me. It was in code. In prison, I guess they talk in code. They'd use numbers to talk instead of letters (laughs) so that they can hide stuff. And the email said, I miss you, want to fuck. That was the entire email. Excuse me? Yes. (laughs) What the fuck is what I have to say to that? (laughs) That was the entire email. I know. Wow, that is literally what you think of me. Like I became an object to him versus someone who he actually loved. You know, that was a really hard reality check to me. And when I made the report on that one, I, you know, I had to tell the officer what it said. And he had the same response as you like, wait, what? What did that say? <laughs> Laura reported Mason for contacting her and violating the protection order. According to the VPO, if Mason were to contact Laura, he would face one year in jail and a $1,500 fine. Laura had expected Mason to go back to jail any time now, but two weeks passed and nothing happened. She was starting to worry, so she called the police to check on the status of her reports, and when she did, she found out that the police had closed her case. That, like, took me aback. I was like, closed? What do you mean closed? And they said, well, um... Lieutenant decided to close them and not file a case against him. Then they said that my police reports were not threatening enough. So that's why they closed my case and didn't arrest him. I told her, I said, I don't understand how they're not threatening enough. I have a continuous VPO against him. My VPO says, plain as day, one violation and one report can put him a year in jail and a a fine. I said, and now he's contacted me twice. I have two reports. And she's like, well, the stuff he was saying to you, I read in the reports, is not threatening enough to go arrest him. You've got to be kidding me. So what is the point of even having a VPO if he can still contact you and they're not going to do anything? Exactly. That's, I mean, I told her, I I got mad and I told her, I said, you know, if, if that's how you're going to treat my VPO, then you need to change the wording on the VPO. And she said, well, we're not going to change the wording. And I said, well, you're telling me that him contacting me is not threatening enough, regardless of what he said. And I said, okay, well, what would constitute him getting arrested? And what would be a case that could be open? And she said, well, one to two times threatening or two or three or more times non-threatening reports for us to look at your case and keep it open. I understand that some people will file and they don't mean it or they don't, you know, then they go and 
immediately cancel it because they're like, oh, I was just angry. I said, I understand that. But I said, this is not the case with me. Like, he's physically beating me. He won't stay away from me. And now you're telling me him contacting me is not threatening enough. I said, so you want him to be standing in front of me and you want me to call you and tell him, hold on, don't beat me yet. I have to call the police before you'll actually do anything. And she was like, well, that's not what I'm saying. I said, well, you're telling me one to two times threatening. So I have to make one or two threatening reports, police reports that have to be filed through you. And then you go through them. I said, I could be dead by then. I got mad. And I said, you know, maybe the next case that you'll be, you know, reading about is my homicide case and that'll be on you. And I, and I hung up on her. I was so pissed. And to this day, nothing ever happened to him. So. My VPO doesn't say it has to be in a threatening manner. My VPO says one contact, one report, one year in jail, and a fine. And then if he contacts me a second time, it's five years in jail and like a $5,000 fine. And right there, I have two within a week of my court date with him. And nothing. Nothing ever happened. His mom had called me and told me he got fired from his job He had torn up her house. Um, He got mad in a rage and tore her fence apart, um, kicked down the fence in some parts. In Kansas, a VPO is called a PFA, a protection from abuse is what it's called. And she actually ended up filing one on him. Wow. She filed one against her own son. Yes, she did. She told me that she filed one, and because of Kansas, when a PFA is filed, the person who is doing the abuse or um, destroying property in this case gets arrested, and they have to spend 18 hours in jail. They actually found him walking. The cops arrested him and took him to jail for 18 hours. He got out. His mom's boyfriend ended up filing stalking charges against him. After they filed the stalking charges and he got served with those papers, Mason actually called me. I didn't answer. And he texted me saying that he needed to talk to me ASAP. It was important. I responded back to him and said, please do not continue to contact me. You're not allowed to contact me. A day or two went by and I didn't hear from him. Then at like 2.30 in the morning, September 20th, he called me over and over and I didn't answer. He called me like 10 or 15 times between 2 and 2.30 in the morning. He texted me and told me that he's going to start walking. He needs a ride. He sent me like 50 something messages. A lot of them were like the emoji, SOS emoji. He was just sending it over and over and over and over. His mom called me the next morning and said that he left his grandpa's house at like three or four o'clock in the morning and he was um, walking towards Oklahoma. On September 21st, the Kansas Highway Patrol actually made contact with him and put him in the back of their cop car. He was walking down the Kansas Turnpike, which is illegal. So they actually drove him and dropped him off at the Brayman exit in Oklahoma, which is like the first exit from the border of Kansas and Oklahoma. The only thing is that when they transported him, 
he was completely naked. Okay, guys, I have the police report here. This police report is dated September 21st, 2021. At 6.14 in the morning, Kansas Highway Patrol and Turnpike Authority were notified that a male subject was dropped off on the Brayman exit on Interstate 35. The male had reportedly been walking the interstate for two days. When Kansas Highway Patrol made contact with him, he was wearing only a loincloth made out of grass. At 7.36 a.m., the Oklahoma Blackwell police were notified that there was a naked man near I-35 in Brayman, holding a severed deer head. Oklahoma Highway Patrol were notified at this time. By 7.48 a.m., a convenience store clerk called Blackwell Police and reported that a man was inside the store making claims that he was going to harm his sister, who lived in Blackwell. At 7.53 a.m., Oklahoma Highway Patrol found the subject at mile marker 230. The man was naked and holding a patch of grass over his crotch. Mason, 32, was arrested and transported to Cade County Detention Center in Oklahoma. They did do a toxicology report. He did not have any drugs, alcohol, nothing in his system. He literally had like a psychotic break um, where he just went completely insane and did all of that stone cold sober. It's very frightening that that was the man I was living with, in a relationship with, the man that I loved and wanted to help. Where is he now? He's still in the detention. He's still in K County. He hasn't posted bond. No one's paid for his bond. He's got a $3,000 bond. So it'd be $300 to get him out. And no one, not one person's paid it. So he's been in K County since the 21st of September. He has a court date November 3rd. He's being charged with two misdemeanors. One for, it says public intox, but the toxicology report came back when he didn't have anything in him. And then the other one was outraging public decency. April, how has it been listening to the podcast and hearing all the details of abuse that Laura went through? It was very difficult. It's very upsetting because she still lies to me about those things. To protect you? I think it is to protect me, but she doesn't realize in the sense that it's also hurting me by putting a strain on our relationship. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe now that she knows you've listened to this and we have done this podcast together, you know, maybe that will stop and maybe she will be more open. Yeah, you you literally have to pry information out of her and that's how she's always been. Yeah, but she's doing she did really well. I mean, towards the end of the podcast, she was different. Did you feel that way kind of listening to it? Yes, I feel like she was able to open up and be herself more mm-hmm. and tell more of what happened. There's always going to be details that people hide in podcasts, but at the same time, it's just what you're willing to share. And I'm glad she was able to open up enough to share her story about what actually happened. How is Laura doing now that she's been away from Mason for some time and she's started the healing process? I think she definitely has a tougher shell. 
she definitely is back to her bubbly personality. She always laughs and giggles, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, she's so cute. And she definitely is more aware of who she is and who she wants to be. I think she's focused more on that. What do you hope that people learn from hearing Laura's story and your side of the story as her best friend and sister? I hope that they are able to pick up on the signs as easily as I did. And I think it's just knowing the person who's going through it. Mm -hmm. I think if you are in a close relationship with somebody who is going through an abusive relationship, it's much more obvious to see the signs. I just hope that they are able to either question them or point out what's happening or try to just get the person in the abusive relationship to understand. Felicia, for you to be a third party witnessing the chaos, how do you think the relationship has changed Laura? I think at first it was really, really hard for her because even though he was doing all those horrible things to her, she missed him. Mm -hmm. That part was really hard for her. And I worried about her. You know, I told her, if you feel like texting him, text me or text somebody. Don't try to text him, especially after the restraining order, because then you're the one, you know, breaking that. Mm -hmm. Initiating contact. Which she didn't, to my understanding, to my knowledge, she didn't. But I know it was really hard for her because she did miss some things about him, you know, and she hated to have to do that to him also. But at the same time, it got to the point where she finally realized, like, I might not make it out alive the next time. Have you been through any type of abusive, toxic relationship in your past? Not a physical abuse, but my last boyfriend, we were together for a long time, like eight years, but he cheated the whole time. And I knew, I knew that he was cheating. But again, it's kind of that situation where it's like, you know, they're doing something to you that they shouldn't be doing, but you love them and you care about them and you, you think, okay, this is the last time he said he wouldn't do it again, you know, and you trust that knowing, knowing that it's not, that's not true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And we separated about four years ago and I still... I still love him, but I know that I can never, ever trust him. Mm -hmm. Do you still have that pull, though, to, like, want to be with him and talk to him? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard because just because we know these people aren't good for us does not make the feelings go away. And it's hard to, like, stay in your your worth, as they want to say, and, like, no, I'm not going to call them, not going to message them because it's below me, even though you want to. Exactly. And I know I know now that I will never, ever be with him again, even though there was a lot of really good things about us that we had. And mm-hmm. I miss that. I don't miss feeling like, where is he? Who is he with? What is he doing? That constant, like, wanting to look at his phone and see who he's been texting. That's just, you know, it's emotionally draining. What advice do you have for women who are currently going through a toxic relationship? I think just kind of knowing that you're not alone. You're not the only one that is going through something that or has been through something like that is it makes you feel a little bit better. Like you're Mm -hmm. not just this stupid girl who can't do life, you know, (laughs) the right way. I mean, it happens and they 
manipulate you and they make you feel safe and then they don't. And then you don't know what to do. They're already cheating or hitting you or, you know, calling you names or whatever it might be that they're into. And then you're already in there. You're already, you already care about them. You already love them. I know it's easier said than done, but don't let somebody treat you like that. You know, it takes time to realize your worth when they make you feel like you're worthless. Mm -hmm. Um, And they do. They make you feel like you're worthless, but you've got to understand that it's them. It's not you. It's them. It's part of their personality. It's part of their upbringing or whatever it may be. And you don't have to put up with that. You can find somebody else that will treat you right or be like me and just never date again. (laughs) (laughs) People are always like, when are you going to start dating? And I'm like, not anytime soon. It's been four years and I don't feel pressure by anybody. I don't feel like I'm bringing anybody into my kids' lives that's going to destroy them. Like, I'm I'm fine right now. <laughs> when the time comes, it will be the right time. Yes. Yes. So what do you think is going to happen when he finally gets out? Do you think he will get out one more time? I don't know. I... Honestly, I hope he doesn't. He needs to be in there. He's too institutionalized to be out in the real world. His court-appointed lawyer hopefully will have like a mental test ran on him, an evaluation, and hopefully they'll put him in like a mental institution um, to get him help. What is your hope for women who have just heard your story? You know, if you had to give them advice or words of encouragement to leave an abusive situation, what would it be? My hope is that men will start treating us the way we're meant to be treated. Like we were made from a man and we came from underneath his arm and his ribs. That's where we're meant to be. We're meant to be loved. We're meant to be guarded and protected, not manipulated, thrown around, treated like complete dirt or trash. I hope that men realize the pain and suffering that a lot of women have and don't hold that against them if they've decided to be in a relationship with them later on in life. It's really all about understanding. If you're not willing to put in the work with a female who's had the past trauma, then don't go looking for a female. There's so many of us out there that have had these hardships and traumas and We've all been through a lot, even men. I mean, men have been in the same position. They've had a woman who's been the abuser. It's really all about understanding and everybody has a past. Everybody has been through something in their past, regardless of if it's abuse of any type, you know, mental, physical, emotional, could be trauma from their childhood. You know, everyone's got to be more understanding. No one is perfect. And I think when we try and get in a relationship or we try to fix people and we try to make them what we want out of them, and that's just not, we can't go around thinking we can change people. And my hope is that everyone just has more understanding, male or female. And if a female or male is being abused in this type of situation of domestic violence, leave. Don't hide it. Don't say it'll get better. It won't. That's what I said. It'll get better. This will stop happening. He loves me. He says he loves me, but his actions show differently. There's no amount of words that can match actions. If those actions aren't matching the words, there's no point in having that relationship. 
to be honest with people, you need to tell someone. You need help. You can never do it by yourself. I tried staying by myself. I tried keeping it to myself. It only got worse and it made me alienated from everybody. I felt like I couldn't go around people um, because they would see my hurt or my pain or they would ask me questions. And so I didn't want the questions. I didn't want, I didn't want that. And so I felt alone and my depression went higher and higher. I just hope no one gets to the point where they were in my story. I hope that they can realize the, the red flags and I hope that they can get out sooner than, than I did. How do you feel about your love life going forward and your life from here on out? I'm actually very nervous to even be in another relationship after, um, you know, my, my failed marriage with adultery, him having multiple affairs. And then after immediately getting in a relationship after Peter with Mason and having the domestic violence and abuse, I am terrified, terrified to my wits end to be in a relationship. I did try and start talking to somebody. He was very understanding. I told him what I had been through. Um, he was very understanding, very um, passionate about protecting me and being there for me and keeping me safe from Mason. If Mason ever came around um, mm -hmm. or just randomly showed up, I was always nervous. That's you know one thing he would do. He was persistent. Again, I love the persistence. Um, he's driven. He has Does a he great have a car? Job. He has his oh own car, God. his own place. And he has his own life. It was a complete turnaround from Mason. She's and, beaming um, for everyone listening to this. She is smiling from ear to ear right now. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I struggle with is wanting to be in a relationship. So we're just dating every now and then. Yeah, I mean, practically 10 years of your life here have just been dedicated to bad relationships. And just take this time, go slow. What do you hope this next year 34 brings for you? Uh, I hope 34 is going to be a good year. I hope that I really find myself and love myself more. Um, I've always been hard on myself. I'm my worst critic, as every probably female is. I hope that I put more, more into myself than I do anybody else. I'm working on myself all the time. I'm going to stay in therapy. I really love my therapist. Um, she's great. You just keep staying strong, girlfriend. Yes. I'm glad you chose me to share my story. I'm so excited. So I can't wait for people to hear. And I hope it helps at least one person. If not, I would hope it helps all, everybody. I think you have the full spectrum of red flags. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Be like, okay, if it's any of these things, this is a huge red flag. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to It Doesn't End Here. As always, I ask you guys to please share this podcast with two friends. By sharing this podcast, you might help someone who you didn't even know needed help. And I also promise that next season I'll have a new tagline. Bye-bye!